Well, as we open up God's word this morning, would you take some time to pray with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we can see in it and hear from it of Jesus and that this whole word points to him. And we do pray, Father, that you would guide and direct our hearts toward him today. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds that understand. Give us eyes that see. Give us hearts that receive your word. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would plant your word deep in us and bear much fruit through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, please get a Bible this morning and open up to the Gospel of John. We're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of John called Life in His Name. And we're going to be in John chapter 4 today, starting in verse 43. And as you're getting there, I read an article, uh, frankly disturbing one, this past week. And I think it relates to the text we're going to be studying today. It was a national news sources about the FDA and then a federal judge issuing a warning and an order to stop a supposed church. That church is called Genesis 2, Church of Health and Healing, by the way. From, is to stop them from selling what the church called a master mineral solution. And com combine this with an activator which the church also sold. This solution would, quote, wipe out this flu-like virus. They're talking about COVID-19 that many are being scared with its presence in this world." End quote. Turns out, however, that this miracle cure is actually some minerals thrown in with industrial strength bleach, which, if consumed, as you might guess, often leads to organ failure, leading to critical health conditions and death. And we don't have to necessarily have or hear or read news like this to know that this is a broken world. But I bring this one to our attention because even though we live in a broken world, we are still very desperate for someone or something to fix it. And the only reason this false church and its poisonous product have gained any traction is because people want a master mineral solution for their life's problems. And you put some and you put some scripture, the word church and terms that people associate with things being right in the world, like health and healing, and with some and then you add some chemical names that the average person may not know, and you have a market that profits off of the pain and suffering and fear of broken and deceived people because they will turn to almost anyone who claims a miracle cure. And that's just not, not just them out there. We're all susceptible to this in our fallen human state. So one question that I, before us today is this. Who will we turn to when we are staring brokenness in the face? Who is it really that we turn to? Will we turn to whoever happens to be there with the supposed miracle cure for whatever our woe is at the moment? Or will we turn to, will we trust in the author of life, the word become flesh, the Christ, the son of God, not just in our own conception as he truly is? Hopefully we will answer that today. 
So if you're there, please read with me from John chapter 4, starting in verse 43, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. After the two days, he, that's Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that no, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. That last verse. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. It calls us to remember John's purpose in writing the book from John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Do you remember this? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why this story that we've read today is written. And I keep bringing that purpose back up as one of the most important tools we are given by God in understanding his word. As we are illuminated by the Holy Spirit to give us understanding this tool is context, context, context. No story in this book is isolated from the rest of it. If we isolate this story from the rest of the book, we move closer to the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing than we ever wanted. But here, in John chapter 4, that overall purpose can be summarized in this text like this. Believe Jesus for who he is and what he can do. Now, there are three parts in this story of believing Jesus for who he is and what he can do. And first, we have to look at some not-so-great news. First, some people want Jesus' stuff, but not Jesus' salvation. I mean, it's true. People want the cool tricks that Jesus can do, but oftentimes are not interested in what those cool tricks are for. That is, to point to Jesus as the one who can save, not just in physical terms, but from sin, a spiritual reality, to life, holistically, wholesomely. So he's talking in whole person terms. And if we look at this passage in its context, 
with the rest of chapter 4, where Jesus was in Samaria, we find that Jesus would have enjoyed potentially greater success in reaping a harvest by actually staying in Samaria, not by coming back to Judea and the Jewish people. He ministered for just a couple days in Samaria with great fruitfulness, people proclaiming and confessing him for who he is without any sign or miracle. But back in Judea, back in Israel, his hometown or home country, he's either opposed or is believed not as the Messiah, but as a miracle worker, a magic healer. And that's why John pauses here in verse 44, saying after the two days, he says, puts a parenthesis, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And this helps us understand what it means and what he means when he writes, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. They saw and believed. They wanted Jesus' stuff, not his salvation. Now, I pause and someone might ask, well, if Jesus himself knew that he wasn't going to be honored in his home country, why would he go back there? <laughs> He's literally seeing people come to him in droves and confess him for who he is in Samaria. Why leave that? Well, the answer is simple. Jesus is not about his own honor. He's about his Father's honor. And the only way that the Father, God the Father, gets truly honored is that Jesus gets crucified and rises from the dead in Israel, just like the Scriptures say. So, these Galileans wanting his stuff. This is the situation into which a royal official comes. Everyone's excited that Jesus, the sign worker, has shown up. And this royal official comes from Capernaum, about a, a town about a day's journey away, and he has heard that Jesus is in the area. And we don't know what he knows about Jesus. But we know this, that he comes because he has a very desperate situation. His son is dying. Let's not miss this, even though a few words are given, just a few words are given to it. Many of you have children. All of you have neighbors who have children. And all of you are someone's child. And you, maybe personally, have may well have been in this official's shoes. Your son or daughter was or is dying. Not just sick, not just, there's a good chance he will recover. But dying. His body has failed. And he is going to die unless something is done. This is desperate. Let's also note something else. This official was not a man working an entry-level position at the Galilean fishing market. This man was an official, and his title in the Greek ties him to the kingdom. So he's a royal official. And that arguably means he has some money. 
And my guess is that he has spent considerable amounts of that money trying traditional methods to save his son. But presumably none have worked. So let's get in his shoes. If you're this parent, you are charged with the welfare of your child. And you love your child and would do anything to help him. And the truth is, many times desperate people don't care who it is just as long as the job gets done. The official hears that there is an amazing healer in the nearby town, and he may have seen Jesus do miracles in Jerusalem himself. So he goes desperate for his son to be healed. Now at this point, we have to acknowledge this man has some faith. If he had no faith, or he was too proud, he would have sought another way or just stayed home to watch his son die. He has faith. But there's a difference here that we need to note. This is not saving faith that he has yet. He believes Jesus to be a healer. He wants his stuff. But he does not yet believe who he really is the Christ, the Son of God, who offers salvation. But it's important that we not miss this, that this is a start. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved, Scripture says. But we need to acknowledge and recognize that God works in the lives of some, not many, but some, to have faith in signs that later transforms into faith in the sign giver, Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of God. So he went to him, verse 47, and asked him to come down and heal his son. Here he is, a desperate father who comes to Jesus and in essence begs him, asking him to come down and heal his son. Our God is a God of of great compassion, church. He is not ignorant of our fears, not ignorant of our struggles, not ignorant of our pain and our crises. He loves the little children. And he is able, he not just cares, he is able to intervene. So how does Jesus respond to this man, this desperate man? Well, he actually responds to the man and arguably the crowd gathering with that man and to the whole of Galilee. And he's actually responding to everyone who reads this passage, including you and me potentially today, who might think that saving faith ends in seeing and believing miracles, true though they might be. Verse 48, this is how Jesus responds. So Jesus said to him, unless you, that is plural, by the way, see signs and wonders you will not believe. <laughs> what kind of compassion and help is that? Well, our God loves us so much as to send Jesus that whoever believes in him, as John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him should not what? Should not suffer? should not be sick, should not see those we care for fall ill. No, 
whoever believes in him should not face eternal death. That's what perishing means in John 3.16. Should not perish, but have instead eternal life. And because God loves us that much, us believing Jesus as he is and what he can do is more important in God's eyes and plan than merely healing the official son of his fatal illness. That brings us to our second point. Believing must be on Jesus' terms. Jesus has a bigger agenda than just healing physical hearts in a world that's still broken. Jesus did plenty of signs and wonders in his ministry. Read the Gospels. They're all over the place. And John says later in his Gospel that the world could not contain the books that would be written of Jesus displaying the inauguration of the kingdom of God and displaying that he was the author of life and that the kingdom's king had come through signs and wonders. But that's just it. The signs and wonders weren't just the end of it. They were to display someone, a specific someone. Jesus, a kingdom without a king, in, king is no kingdom at all. It's chaos. But when the true king shows up, the kingdom is to respond to that king's terms. So let's be clear again, as this passage shows it. Again, believing Jesus because of signs and wonders isn't necessarily bad. But if we stop there, if we stop at signs and wonders, uh, I'll put this bluntly, we may as well believe the false teachers who claim to be from God with signs and wonders, but who exalt themselves or us rather than Christ as the Christ, the crucified and risen Son of God. So the question for us is, are we going to come to Jesus on our terms or his? And his terms demand believing him as he is. And the one who sent him, God the Father, as it says in John chapter 7. And Jesus goes so far as to say later in the Gospel of John that those who believe without seeing any signs or wonders are blessed. But he doesn't say that those whose faith begins with signs and wonders are necessarily rejected. He calls instead for that insufficient faith to be transformed, as he calls the official here. See, for the official, in Jesus saying, unless you have signs and wonders, you will not believe, Jesus is warning him and the group and us about staying in an insufficient faith. He wants him to be transformed. So here's a question. How do we know that this official wants Jesus on his, his own terms rather than on Jesus's? Well, what does he ask of Jesus? He asks Jesus twice to what? Come down and heal. He wants Jesus to come so he can see Jesus heal his son and then believe in him. I mean, right here, good intentions, but this is fallen human nature right here. If God keeps me and my children healthy, 
then I'll believe. If God just keeps my business open, then I'll believe. If he helps my mutual fund do well, then I'll believe. If he makes me somebody instead of the nobody I feel like, then I'll believe. But that's usually not the case. And Jesus won't have us believe him ultimately because of things that are here today, gone tomorrow. He's after something much more permanent. But do you know why he asks twice? Even after Jesus rebuked the people and him for only wanting signs and wonders? Because this man is showing that he's not after the signs. He doesn't fully understand. His faith isn't fully transformed yet. Because even though he asks for Jesus to come down this second time, he persists in prayer. That's talking to God. I mean, he's talking to Jesus right here. And is now asking purely for Jesus' compassion. Before my child dies. You see, what has happened right here is that this official has accepted the rebuke and warning of Jesus and has humbled himself and is ready to receive what Christ has for him. And Jesus knows the change in the official's heart. And so Jesus now gives him two things. In verse 50, he gives him a challenge of faith and a promise with the challenge. Verse 50, go, your son will live. These two things are, what are they? They're Jesus's terms. Jesus's terms are to believe him through his word without initially seeing the sign done. Jesus, in just a few words, proclaimed this man who he is and how to receive him on his terms. See, scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We also need to remember that God is not limited by he, limited to healing by physical presence. Jesus healed many people by laying his hands on them, but it wasn't required. The creator of the universe, the author of life, the savior of the world, the king of kings has but to what? He has but to speak. And it's done. But the question is, will the official believe him? Will he believe him at his word? And will we take him at his word, which he has already spoken to us in scripture? Continuing verse 50, the man responds, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This, this is transformed faith. This is faith on Jesus' terms. This is, as Hebrews says, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The official receives Jesus' word as it is to be received. God's word is to be received as authoritative, inerrant, clear, sufficient, and powerful. Now we need to note something, that this passage actually is not about healing primarily. 
This passage is about believing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, who can heal as he chooses. That's why we ought to hold this book, the Bible, so dear. That's why we ought to open it in our hearts and minds daily that we would believe and continue growing in our believing Jesus. And when the moment the challenge is given to us, however it comes to us, we would know what is said and we would know who has said it and we would receive it on his terms and watch him work. We who are of Jesus' church are here for him on his terms and any stuff, healing or otherwise, that we graciously receive only serves to further our faith in him for who he is and what he can do. And as this man goes on his way, what is it that Jesus does in response to this saving faith? He vindicates it. Jesus vindicates faith, true saving faith, whether at the, right at that moment or at the full consummation of his salvation in the new heavens and the new earth. And that brings us to number three, is that saving faith in the true Jesus is always vindicated. Verse 51, continuing, as he was going down, the official, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. The official it's a great picture. In a true story, the official takes a literal walk of faith. And it's not the same faith that he had when he first went to Jesus. When he first went to Jesus, he was expecting Jesus to act on his terms. But what he finds himself doing willingly and expectantly is trusting Jesus and his promise, walking on his terms, walking to see it fulfilled. And again, this journey takes a day, so he probably spent the night in Cana. And as he's coming back home, his servants have already begun to search for him. Now, we're, we've seen one side of the story, but can you imagine what's going on on the other side? The middle of the day rolls by in Capernaum. The servants, the boy's mother, and siblings, perhaps, gathered around the boy, Wiping his brow with cool cloth. With a range of emotions that sway from moment to moment from cool acceptance of his impending death. I mean, death was everywhere in that culture. It's everywhere here, but we just try to hide it better. Sways from that to a full-blown panic when his breathing became ragged and labored and his body started to shiver and shake. And the seventh hour comes. It's 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Perhaps in the midst of a feverish fit and everyone in the house is wondering, is this gonna be it? Oh God, no, not while his dad's away, he's just a boy.
the boy's forehead, soaked with sweat, suddenly, suddenly stops shaking. And he exhales. And his grip on his mother hand, mother's hand suddenly tightens and relaxes. And for a split millisecond, she and the whole house wonder if he's gone. And the air comes in again. But it's not like the ragged breath of a feverish child. It's calm. It's clear. It's peaceful. And the eyelids that have been quivering for days, perhaps, softly open. And he looks clearly at his mother saying and says her name. Can you imagine this? I mean, through the tears, she, lit, she probably got up and started screaming at the servants, quick, go find your master. He's well, he will live. And they go to bring in the great news. He doesn't need the sign worker, the healer to come anymore. <laughs> and little do they suspect that at the same moment the fever broke. Over in Cana, the Son of God in the flesh, no mere sign worker or magic healer, but God incarnate spoke a sentence. Go, your son will live. So on the road home, the servants delightedly meet their master and told him that his son was recovering. Verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. This was not a skeptical question. Jesus did not say when the boy would be healed, but that he would be healed. But <laughs> if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know this moment. This is the moment when you hear the answer to your prayer and you ask the question anyway for the purpose of further delighting in God's work, already knowing that the only answer that is going to come out of that person's mouth is the testimony of God working in wonderful ways. This is the question that expects a vindication of faith. They said to him, verse 52, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. The father knew his faith was vindicated. But what's even better? Vindicated faith leads to further faith. The next sentence says this, and he himself believed. Look at this journey. He had begun with an insufficient faith that it didn't matter who it was. He wanted his son healed. Jesus had called him to a saving faith, which believes Jesus for who he is and what he can do. And that's when the man believed Jesus' word. And here is the vindication of faith. 
where greater trust, greater belief secures an even greater faith that can't be contained. Because he goes on and says, but not only he himself believed. See, the official and his servants went back home. And again, there must have been an amazing celebration. You know, perhaps the boy was even well to the point of being able to get out of bed and come greet his father as he came. You know, after tears of joy and a great big hug, this official gathered everyone together. And we're not told in the text what he said, but he may have said something like this. You had better believe this. My son was almost lost forever. But I found the Christ yesterday and he healed him. And he may have gone on further in the details to give testimony to Jesus as he is and what he can do. In some ways, this story ought not to be unique, church. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about this kind of amazing healing. I believe that God can and does heal. In fact, understood rightly, every time someone has a, a headache and takes an aspirin or an ibuprofen and they start to feel better, that is by the grace and providence of God, not just some natural causation because of the chemicals working. No, God is at work there too. But according to the scripture, Jesus did not heal everyone, even though they sought him out. At one point, he got into a boat and said, let's go someplace else. This should at least give us some pause in saying or taking away from this lesson that, well, if you just seek Jesus out, then you'll be made well. I prayed with elders many years ago in faith that a young boy would be healed and spared of dying because of holes in his heart. And God said on, a, said on a Christmas day those many years ago, for his good purposes and also for the strengthening of our faith and the strengthening of, his par of the faith of his parents, God said no. We are not always told why, but God is not a healing on demand God. That actually minimizes Jesus and the scripture's understanding of healing. Healing is always for the purpose of wholeness, not simply wellness. You can be as fit as can be and still be furthering preparing your body to be eaten alive by eternal flames. You see, our physical infirmities aren't the biggest problem. The curse of sin which is underneath all of those, through which brokenness, disease, and death entered the world. Sin which, if we are left in it, results in just sentencing and eternal hell, apart from the living God of life. And this official, this man, this father, though he cared selflessly for his son, was a hair's breadth away from eternal death as was his family and his household.
That's how, that's what sin does. But when he trusted Christ, when he trusted Jesus, he was by faith, he was by faith declaring that he trusted the Christ, the Son of God, more than his own sinful understanding of the world. And God gave his story for us to see a picture of how saving faith can be vindicated. And he delivered the good news to his family as well, and they too believed. This ought not to be unique. You can't make up a story like this. Jesus' signature is all over this. So I plead with you, do not underestimate what the saving work of Jesus can do through one member of a household. Verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Jump all the way over to chapter 20, verses 31, verse 31, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Believe Jesus for who he is and what he can do. And at some point, whether today, just like the official son, or in glory with the new heavens and the new earth and resurrected bodies that are sin-free, whether now or then, your faith in Christ Jesus will be vindicated. I'll ask the question again. The questions, who is it really? that we will turn to when we are staring our brokenness in the face? Will we turn to whoever happens to be there with the miracle cure for whatever our woe is? Or will we turn to, will we trust in the author of life? The word became flesh, the Christ, the son of God, as he is, who the fa- whose father did not spare him from death on the, of the cross and did not spare him from facing the father's wrath for our sins that we might be made whole and alive. This has been written that we might believe Jesus as he is and that we would see what he can do, indeed what he has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who can heal. You made our bodies. You know how they work. You have designed every part. And you hold it together, as your word says. And we thank you that you can heal And we thank you that you can heal not just our bodies, but that you can heal that which, and resurrect that which is dead. Our souls that have been enslaved in sin. Thank you for sending Jesus and that we, by faith, get to see who he truly is and what he can do. 
Father, this man trusted in Christ, even though he did not know at that moment that he was going to die on the cross. And he did not know that he was going to rise again. But we're given that. <laughs> what a gracious privilege that we are given so much, so much of your voice to believe you, to trust you. And I pray, Lord, that we would believe and, Lord, that you would strengthen and vindicate the faith of us who have walked with you and are walking with you and, want, and will continue to walk with you into eternity. Thank you for your word. Lord, we accept your word and we take it as it truly is. It's from you, the Christ, the Son of God. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.